Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is August 18th and well, it's all gone down the gutter. Yesterday we were liquidated big time over 1.08 billion dollars worth of liquidations in this past 24 hours. Something something just broke in the markets, honestly. Uh, big market maker or somebody that had a pretty large portfolio on Deribit uh, got wrecked pretty bad overnight. And it led to massive liquidations, the price of BTC dropping several thousand dollars and uh, just chaos all over the place. Um, the largest liquidations that we have here were across OKX with 334 million, Deribit with 272 million. Uh, and what was interesting about those two is that uh, while they were 30% of all liquidations, uh, they only represented about 17% of open interest at the time. And so uh, thankfully, we have a, a nice um, nice thread from Low Strife who went in and took a look at what exactly was happening. So he, was, he essentially showed this chart, right? So this is the uh, BTC spot price versus uh, the perpetual BTC price. And it got all the way down to minus 2,000. So the, the, the perps just got wildly out of sync with or wildly deviated away from the spot price because their uh, liquidation engine, when it kicks in for portfolio margin, it just starts to sell perps to cover. And boy, it did. <laughs> and the entire market responded by just dumping. Uh, there was some crazy uh, like slippage. Market makers just dropped out of the market entirely. You can see here, this is a... Uh, this is the order book for, uh, I believe, the probably the put side or the call side, uh, one or two. And uh, you can see that the spreads here are over $1,600, uh, which is honestly just pretty insane. And, uh, and we can see here that uh, whoever caught the December futures bottom on Deribit, it went all the way down to $22,000 or $23,000 right on the mark. Not on big volumes, but it did go down there. Uh, and then rally back up to 26000 and Bybit was also wiped out of 30% of their uh, open interest as well, too. So just pretty crazy nuke all the way over. Uh, <laughs> somebody got wiped out in, in big in time. So I have on today, uh, I brought on my friend Patrick, Patrick Dugan, who uh, is going to help us unpack a little bit of what was happening. So Patrick, you've traded a bunch on, on Deribit uh, and also have managed treasuries and stuff. Like, what exactly was the cause of this mark, like this whole movement yesterday well, I, I can't tell you exactly what exactly was the cause but um yeah probably um okay so i guess the key question if you want to put it on your tinfoil hat for a minute um we suspect i suspect that elon musk did not trade total return swaps with his boys at morgan stanley <laughs> around the twitter acquisition because if he did he would have gotten a rebate of like several billion dollars on that whole thing so i, I don't think He's like masterminding market manipulation like that. Um, however, how illegal is it to buy a ton of puts and then market dump a lot of spot Bitcoin as well as the mimetic effect, which is probably even more significant market impact of saying, hey, you know, Elon Musk, blah, 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 we're, we're out, right? Um, and I think if it was CME puts, that would be something that could go in a docket and the CFTC might, you know, come after him. And, and so he's going to have another one. Yes. Except he's had plenty of problems with the SEC in the past and he doesn't care. Right. So maybe, but so, uh, if, if he did it on, on Binance or Deribit, uh, I, I think it would be even less illegal, uh, you know, sort of a gray <laughs> area 
says well, we, quite we, we, it's like less illegal um because uh, those aren't regulated products right um and that you know you would essentially lock in that you could have bought you know friday options and uh, started selling just aggressively market liquidating your position and and then go into that um but that actually looking at the open interest on so i don't have that data because this just happened today and i, I haven't been well, we do time. we do have some reporting yesterday from uh qcp and i'll bring up my uh okay like, wrong one so they gave they gave some uh Here's my telegram. Here we go. So they gave us some analysis on this. They essentially said that uh, the break was driven by a large BTC and ETH gamma related perp liquidation on Deribit and OKX. Uh, I talked about like that it's 50% of all the liquidation flow and they provided some charts as well too. This was uh, global. Can you see this? I don't think it popped out. Uh, but like 50% of all the long liquidations were on uh, OKX and Deribit. Uh, and they continue to say that pretty much everything got wiped. And it was it looked to be appeared, like you're saying, tinfoil hat. Actually, let's bring up the tinfoil hat guy. Uh, tinfoil hat. SpaceX announced. Uh, <laughs> somebody said that SpaceX like wrote down in 2020 or in 2023 their, their Bitcoin holdings by about $373 million. And uh, they said it brought back the ghosts of 2021 and 2022 uh, Elon-driven tops and bottoms. So right, and also so, oh, and funding's at its negative, most negative for the past six months as well too. So the spot candle that wicked down to 20, uh, 25, 500 uh, was about 100k on Binance. So I'm going to guesstimate that's about 250, 300k spot BTC that that flowed through this. And then the open interest in these futures and perps is generally about that or smaller than that. So you can have the whole open interest turn over as all the leveraged guys get wrecked and that the amount of capital that comes in to sweep it up. Like I used to run this fund before uh, I put the money on FTX to get what I thought was like <laughs> basically the risk-free rate. And then don't, I don't have that fund anymore. Now I'm trading U.S. stock options because uh, they do the accounting for you. You don't have to worry about the exchange rugging you. It's well, not you got the uh, you got the Sam's there. Sam's free. Well, he's not free anymore, but he was free for a little bit. You got the Sam's free rate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and you know, I I don't wish evil on to Sam. Uh, you know, if there's a path for redemption for him. But yeah, basically, I I, I do think that FTX was fraudulent uh, at some level that they were shorting volatility through this incestuous Alameda insurance fund nominal exchange uh trinity and that you know basically when you're a market maker and you can algo trade your your algo trading looks like options trading which comes back to this idea of, mm. of gax but um yeah tldr that was not that we we all wanted to believe in in ftx because they were flattering us with these like thick bids ask walls that we could take a mill off real quick pay seven basis points and speculate in size on derivatives on uh fecal coins that you know some of them went to zero like luna right and this is this exacerbated it but they were printing losses uh well before that so anyway moving on from ftx unfortunately so the point though is that i'm trying to make is that you know when it's the plunge protection team and it's morgan stanley and and they can get bailed out by the fed or it's like long-term capital management before before then then um you don't see these kind of dislocations in the establishment markets but 
here in crypto, we have one foot in the realm of almost like Islamic finance where everything is like deleveraged, right? And that we have to like, you know, live within our means. And that uh, on the other hand, we have these leverage products that can blow out. So there's only so many pools of, of Bitcoin, right? So the way that I would have been ameliorating this situation, um, probably algorithmically, because this happened at night, right? Um, so if, if I still had my fund- It was like five o'clock, it was five o'clock, right after markets closed. Yeah, I would have been asleep, but maybe like on the, the spread, my algo would have like jumped in and started buying future, uh, buying, yeah, buying futures and perps, uh, some mix of those and selling spot, right? So it's like, uh, otherwise you'd have to go borrow it from Barry, uh, Barry Silbert uh, for the most part, or from uh, the, the lending market on Binance um, to short it. But if you're in a BTC benchmark, cause you're like this kind of, you're trying to be permanent capital, but you're trying to add yield to that. That That's what my, my Bitcoin um, hodler client uh, was trying to do then it's like you just sell your spot Bitcoin and you replace it with this discounted derivative so that you maintain your Bitcoin position and that at the end of the day, you're going to come out with more Bitcoin, whatever the price of Bitcoin is. So this is an idea of like a sustainable amount of, of, of money, but there's only so many pools of, of those Bitcoins. There's only so many actors who are able, or you could come in with leverage and you get the uh, back in the old days of like three arrows capital, you could get an unsecured Bitcoin borrow and just you know it's like your solomon brothers in the in the late 80s where they just would get credit lines from banks to trade you know it wasn't even a question of like 40x leverage or, or something like that um and, and of course this is what got uh, long-term capital management in trouble right so the point being that uh if if speculators increase their leverage exposure more than the responsible pools of capital whether they're using leverage or not uh are able to soak it up then we we can expect to continue to see these blowouts even when bitcoin is 100k and then it corrects and it, and it trades down to 80 and, and you'll see derivatives blow out to 75k or, or 72k on on some morning um next time elon musk takes profits uh on bitcoin right <laughs> um and he wants to make a big stink out of it um and that as far as options uh gamma exposure goes looking at the data on um binance uh real quick and on Darabit, um, can I paste my screen cap in here? Yeah, you um, should be able to. You should be able to share what? screens. Uh, so taking a look at the, um, I'm just looking at the Binance discount. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just go ahead and. Yeah. Go ahead and share. Um, when you have it a second. Yeah. Yeah. So here's Binance. Um, you, you've got a, a few million bucks uh max pain on on puts is you know there was a little bit of a of a ramp in in this uh, 26k 25k range and then on darabit uh we've got a few so this is actually bigger open interest darabit is still the despite binance being the king of, of perps darabit is still the king of options uh in the crypto and in, in bitcoin and in eth options so you can see at the 27k range, we got four four point five thousand um, Bitcoin of, of exposure, and that is um, you know a hundred you know a hundred and some change million bucks, and then I got a few hundred more. So it's it's like th that is proportionate. Oh, now we get the recursion. Um, that is proportionate in the size of the of the initial spot sales from from tesla they might even hold some of those options for for all we know and that's not going to be disclosed because there's no regulation about that um 
but that uh, I think mostly Gex gamma exposure, where basically Gex is when um, options market makers are naked short, usually puts uh, put spreads, not naked, you know, on the wings, they might be naked, but that's further out of the money. And this is where things like Deribit um, portfolio margin is really helpful because they'll let you sh short naked puts that are longish duration and that are like 50% out of the money and their VAR window is like 15% uh, shocks. So you can get more capital efficiency as a market maker, but um, that they'd be in spreads, but they still, they have some gamma exposure. So what they do is they start selling, selling, selling. And um, if they don't have a lot of Bitcoin borrow, because uh, you don't want to keep selling futures and perps as they go mm -hmm. into deeper discount, that's bad for the basis risk. Um, so there's only actually so much firepower that, and then this is why also that options open interest isn't so huge, is that we don't well, have on, like let's go, let's go back there and kind of un unpack that. Monies, you know? On, let's yeah. unpack that that position a little bit. So market makers, you're saying they're they're like typically they're they're hedging something called delta, right? Which is their price exposure. So they want to stay delta neutral relatively all the time. Ish. So if yeah. if somebody's buying uh, Bitcoin, right, they're selling that Bitcoin and then they're hedging. Or sorry, they're so, sorry. If somebody's buying like a Bitcoin perpetual, right? Uh, they're the ones that are selling that their that perpetual, and then they're hedging it somewhere else, either with the futures or with options or something else. And so the, their goal at the end of the day, and you can correct me, is to, is to remain flat. But when you do remain flat, you then open yourself up to these different exposures, which could be like gamma, which is the uh, like a, a second order. It's like the speed of the, the rate of the change of the option as price moves in right. one direction or the other. Uh, and then... Um, you know, like the also volatility exposure as well too. So like as volatility increases, the price, the prices, the options increases. And if you, if you can, you can usually hedge out like three of the four things, right? You're, yeah. There's also this thing called uh, Vanna, uh, yeah, which, which is like, the, the beast, <laughs> um, like in uh, wheel of fortune. So, um, there was this lady, Karen, the trader, who was famous for going on Tom Sosnoff's sh uh, show. Tom Sosnoff's the guy who, who made uh, Thinkorswim, and then they sold that to TD Ameritrade, and they um, and they started uh, Tasty Trade. And what's cool about Tasty Trade is they cap your commissions per leg at ten dollars. So if you trade like a thousand contracts on four legs or three legs for in like zero day uh, butterflies, that's like the only place where you can do that realistically other than maybe like Robin hood and you maybe would get sniped more on, on adverse selection on the, cause you're also trying to get filled on a lot of, from like Citadel. Cause that's how Robin hood works. Right. So they're, they're still pretty cool in that way. And so Karen, the trader is this lady who made a lot of money selling uh, naked strangles instead of iron condors and folks don't do this. Always sell <laughs> the condors and just sell more lots to take the same amount of credit and here's why, because as the Vega goes up, the Vanna so, goes so, up so, to, Vega, Vega's the, can you explain Vega's? Implied volatility. Yeah, just so, the raw price of option premium is going up. It, it, yes. it tends to be a little bit higher than real volatility so that the casino business model of selling insurance on, on, on market moves is a sustainable one. Right. And that's 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 only uh, that premium only shrinks near to near zero for zero day options. So speaking. so the Vana so the Vana is like a second order uh, 
effect yeah, on top Delta of the Delta gets worse also. Yeah. And it's like, ah, oh, it's like hungry, hungry hippos. You're going crazy with this. <laughs> um, so that's what hurt uh, old Karen. And that's why you should always sell vol in the form of condors and not naked. You're like, oh, but I want to save money. And you're like, don't, you don't even know what you're talking about. This isn't an, this isn't income. It's only income when you, when you book a, a profit, buddy. <laughs> um, you know, it's, this is a risk that you're taking. So there's this thing in the insurance business called reinsurance and that the insurance business is mostly in the business of selling insurance and then buying reinsurance a little cheaper. It's the same thing with, with banks. They're trying to make a spread on your mortgage, not necessarily holding it to maturity over 30 years, right? Um, they borrow from like the Fed, whatever, right? So it's all about making spreads. Same thing with market making. So market makers are trying to make the spreads. And so you sell iron condors, the market maker is short that that insurance leg. And that's where the, the portfolio margin comes in. So yeah, at the bottom of, at the end of the day, when something like this happens, they have to sell raw Bitcoin, they have to sell derivatives if they can. Um, also, if they're market making the derivatives, and the basis, let's go back to that. let's go back to that in a second. So, what what happened yeah. here on Deribit is that the the price of the perpetual went two thousand dollars eventually under the price of spot. Yeah, and so normally uh, these market makers would just sell the perpetual, right? Because like it's it's usually within line of the of the Bitcoin price, right? But in yeah. in this yesterday, uh, what happened is that the 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 price of the perpetual got so far out that it no longer became advantageous for them to, to sell that perpetual anymore. And so they probably had to go out and borrow BTC somewhere and sell spot BTC in the market. And there's only so much of that. Yeah. Um, they have made more systematic markets for, high, uh, for spot uh, lending on Binance. Um, FTX used to be the big self-service one. And that things like Genesis were the, you know, sign a paper and, and do this version of that. And of course, Genesis went broke. FTX went broke. Celsius went broke. Everybody went broke. It's only Binance. And then so the, so those, so those spot markets now are incredibly thin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it just, so that, that's it what. And shows to go you that yeah. we haven't really matured yet because in practice, a thing makes a, a 20% daily move. Okay, it's a high beta asset, right? So this is something that you should expect to happen from time to time, maybe once a year or twice a year. Um, for S SPY, you wouldn't expect that, right? No. That's like very much unheard of, right? That's like the 2008 financial crisis is 20% in a day, right? Yeah. Um, but on, on Qs, which are higher beta, the, the, the NASDAQ ETF, you might expect that to happen uh, over a week or something uh, sometimes, like mm -hmm. in the COVID crash. Um, so the, so we're, in a high, uh, we're in a high volatility asset. Now imagine trying to make markets on options on something like Luna, where it can literally go down 99.99999% in, in one week because of its, you know, it's a Ponzi, right? Um, but never mind. That's that's what sunk FTX, um, among other things. So, yeah. So basically, our market structure is a little weird because we're, we have a dissonance between having honest money that is, you know, countable and it's like I, I buy the whole Bitcoin and then we're also doing it on credit with with futures, right? And uh, but the good news for those who are, are hodling Bitcoin is that you can easily sell your spot Bitcoin and buy futures at uh, you know 10, 15 percent under the market on, during these events and, and be useful. 
uh, to maintaining the market structure, even though it's wobbly. So I, and I guess then, bada bing, you, you make a big yield. You make 15% yeah, yeah. on your Bitcoin in one day and you don't sure, mind but, that you're, you're, you're down 20% on, in dollars because you have a, a long view. Right. So, so Patrick, one, one last, one last thing to talk about here. Um, now that we kind of like unpacked how these market makers get wrecked. Uh, is this yeah. the sort of thing that Gary G is going to look at when they're like dishing out decisions on the i'm sorry uh, which gary gary v or gary g gary g gary g <laughs> good old gary g is 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 this what he's looking at when they're thinking about these bitcoin etfs when they're saying like no because he he's not a well kind of um yeah kind of right the, the, that's been the argument and that's not even gary that's uh jay clayton too right in 2017 yeah, yeah. and um yeah, and it's it's all you're all it's the credit risk of people putting their money to Chengpeng Zhu um, that he won't be Sam and, and rug them so that we can facilitate this this liquidity at Binance and that yeah it's way too few spot venues they're completely unregulated um, but Gary's not really a derivative guy so I think that it's just that there was a big move in spot is, is his reasoning if you're a CFTC person. Then you're you love derivatives and you love market structure because you believe in derivatives. And you believe that they improve the economy through liquid hedging of risk, and and I think that's correct. I'm also kind of a derivatives guy, and um, so yeah, it, a CFTC person would argue that um, this is why you need CME. Uh, do you have uh, data on how big the dislocation was for the CME futures? Or they weren't trading at this time, so they're not twenty four seven products. So they're so by the time CME opened this morning, it's already trading close to par anyway, right? So that helped, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, and that's no, I, I and think that's it was... complicated because they oh, should have twenty four seven futures that are regulated, right? Um, and that there should be, you know, liquid capital available to Arvid and things like that. Yeah, there's a like a thousand dollar price gap now. So, well, we've got a um, okay. yeah. I know we can unpack this a lot more, but uh, we've also got a really another special guest, and I'll let uh, Garrett introduce her. Uh, and Patrick, thank you for the insight. That was I, I. I know we could go hours on this, but uh, sure, no, we only, we only have an hour to... today. So I think it's a good uh, sign that uh, we should find the time to have uh, Patrick uh, back on. I know, and I would love Patrick. You're what, like we're gonna have to have you back on to unpack this more. Yeah, um, yeah, we can uh, have a lot of fun with that kind of uh, stuff, and uh, really nice having you here, uh, Patrick. And, uh, really oh yeah, yeah, but it. please stay, please stay on. But we've got, we've also got Miriam uh, yeah. from Angle Protocol, uh, who is here, and Gare's got a uh, a bunch of stuff to uh, talk to her about with. Hi. Yeah, absolutely, Miriam, welcome, welcome, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, could you give a brief uh, introduction to Angle for those who aren't familiar? Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm so glad to be here. Um, I'm with Angle Protocol. Angle is a DeFi protocol we launched on Ethereum mainnet. Uh, it's been a few years now. Uh, it was live in November 2021. And um, the main product of Angle is a decentralized euro stablecoin. Uh, most of the time, people do make the comparison to DAI. They would say this is the, the equivalent of DAI, but in euro. Um, and Angle is much more known for that uh, AG Euro stablecoin. Um, you know, we've been existing, as I told you guys, since November 2021. But um, there's an event that prompted 
a redesign of our protocol more recently. And that event is the, the USDC DPEG um, in, um, in, uh, in March 2023. We were talking right now with, um, uh, with the guys of traumatizing events and extreme volatility events that happen in the market. Well, what happened in March 2023, you know, it was, of course, cascading events due to um, um, failure of traditional banks that were uh, circled, that issues USDC had their reserves, and then uh, that, you know, um, trickled down to, to, to circle and the USDC depict. And, you know, many circumstances led to that, uh, let's say, market panic. The first is during many hours, we did not know how much uh, circle had in these banks that were affected, you know, um, no transparency as to the state of the reserves and their distributions. Uh, there's that. And then secondly, we finally all discovered all at once, or at least many people discovered that stable coins were subject to uh, these volatility events that were more or less disconnected uh, from DeFi, but also many of them had a disproportionate amount of USDC in their reserves. So, so there is the, the issue of uh, the transparency and also the issue of building a stablecoin that is resilient, in both in terms of diversity uh, in the backing, but also how do you handle uh, catastrophic volatility events when it happens. So, so, you know, Angle was on its rail, but when that event happened, uh, we, we took it upon ourselves to say, hey, this is our responsibility as an ecosystem working in DeFi. Uh, to make something of that event and make sure we can address it when it, you know, comes around again, if it does comes around, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. Um, so real quick, could you handicap sort of the state of Euro stable coins? And mm -hmm. like, obviously, like, you know, dollar stable coins have been sort of the killer use case for Ethereum. Um, mm -hmm. Euro stable coins, like, obviously, like, you know, I've been to Europe, people use euros there. Why haven't mm -hmm. they taken off as much? Um, I think it, this is a very interesting question because um, right now, if you compare um, uh, the uh, market cap of USD-packed stablecoins with uh, Euro-packed stablecoins, it's ridiculous. Um, USD-packed stablecoins, it's uh, several hundreds of billions. And uh, right now, the market cap of Euro stablecoins is like 500 million. It's nothing. Um, I think you have two reasons there. Um, the first is, of course, you know, uh, being first in the market. There was, we were surprised when we, we started Angle that no one addressed this market, uh, considering the fact that uh, the euro is the second uh, currency in terms of loan and trades uh, internationally. But also uh, there's the fact that there are many people who are involved with the euro that have not penetrated and entered uh, the, the crypto market yet. You know, I am. Um, if you want to look really long term, you're looking at uh, areas like uh, um, uh, French-speaking countries in Africa. They are bound to enter the the crypto market, and they will naturally go towards the euro. Because if you look, for example, for the West African or East African uh, zone, their currency have a hard peg uh, to the euro. It's not even a soft peg. It's a it's a hard peg. So these people prefer, you know, uh, transacting with euro when they do exchange of amounts, they would always do it in euro. So you have these two reasons. And we, we have noticed talking with uh, institutions with whom we are in contact now, medium and uh, big south in, uh, investment funds that operate in Europe and want to penetrate DeFi, they are in need of these euro stable coins because there is this constant change risk that you take if you you know uh, you're dealing originally with euro but then 
entering DeFi, you transact in dollar, you're taking that constant change risk. So there is a demand there. Um, and it's our responsibility to address it uh, safely, but also, you know, giving out the opportunities leveled in euro so that we can attract these people who are in demand. Got it. Within the EU specifically, what's your take on the MICA? I think it's pronounced MICA. I'm not quite sure. And what that means for euro stablecoin adoption. Um, uh, that's an incredibly hard question, but it's one that we're looking at. Um, first of all, what I... I mean, it's a, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time because um, uh, the European Union is very well known to, to produce hefty and heavy uh, amounts of regulations in the US too. But um, I believe in, in, in Europe, there is also always this attitude of front-running innovation and sometimes stifling it. Um, so, so MICA now uh, is, go is adopted, the text is final, uh, it's going to be um, 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 applying uh, in 2024, at the latest 2025. And what's interesting is that MICA has a long list of rules that apply to stable coins that they do call e-money tokens. And basically these are centralized stable coins right now there is no part of this regulation that we can clearly state that they do apply to DeFi. And these are conversations we have with lawyers, also with some regulators, because luckily in, uh, in Europe and in, uh, in France specifically, um, regulators are open to discussion. So, so you can always have this contact and, and, uh, and uh, submit your interpretation at least. So, so in MICA, you have one concept that they called DINO. Dino is, uh, means decentralized in name only. So, so you would say MICA does not for now apply to, to DeFi and decentralized stablecoin, provided that you're not a Dino, provided that you can prove that you are effectively decentralized. So this is a direct challenge to everyone that's operating in DeFi right now in Europe. Make sure that uh, your decentralization is on point. What do I mean by that? Uh, how does your governance work? You know. Uh, are the votes implemented uh, with a code that is already provided and trickles down as, as, as soon as the, the, the vote strikes? Uh, do you need to do uh, manipulations and transactions by hand? Are you working with a multisig? Um, I think the, the space is also now addressing uh, this type of urgent needs that we have. Uh, Snapshot X, for example, uh, that is now out is, is, a, is a different you know, uh, solution that will allow us to go further into that decentralization, because the more you automate your functioning as a DeFi protocol, at least in Europe and in respect of Mika, the more you automate, the less you have significant um, influence, people who have a significant influence, and I'm, and I'm putting quotation mark because this is a legal term, having a significant influence on a protocol or on a project signified that there is someone you can refer to, there is an influencing uh, entity uh, on the project. So the more you can automate, the less you have this uh, notion of significant influence and the more you can, you know, claim uh, with your whole chest and safely that you're, you know, you're doing decentralization. So, so that's the challenge. Got it, got it. And I know you have to take off pretty soon, but just before you bounce, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the future of both Angle V2, like what are your hopes and expectations that are going to come from it? Are you hoping for black swan events that will uh, prove the resilience <laughs> and take out competitors? Well <laughs> as well as crypto more generally, like what do you see us going? Um, this is, first of all, I would not hope that we see um, the, all the traumatizing event that we've seen <laughs> the past two years. I mean, we, we've it's seen enough. Um, <laughs> we've really seen enough. But, um, you know, we, 
what we really try to do, we try to do two things with Angle V2. The first one is resilience. And within that resilience, we try to create some value sharing because that's why we're in, in DeFi for. You want to, of course, make it safe and resilient. That's a fundamental. Otherwise, we won't be able to attract as many people in this space as we want because as much as we believe in this and this is a mission we're all embarked on, you know, you need some prerequisites and security to, to, to really um, do the bring the next billion, as we say. Um, and for these Black Swan events with V2, um, what we noticed is, for example, with the USDC DPEG, there is two attitudes. When these type of events happen, uh, some people will be like, oh, I'm going to wait and see what happens. I'm not going to pull out my money right now. And some will be like, I'm going to pull out my money. But crypto is borderless. Some people are sleeping when this happens. And we, that's just one feature of V2, but we really, and but it's my favorite, we really thought it's unfair that someone who is sleeping uh, across the globe is left back, back holding. So tomorrow, if there is an event, catastrophic event that happens in one of the baskets of the assets that are in the reserves of AG Euro drops, everyone at all time will be able to redeem the AG Euro against a portion of the reserves. It means if tomorrow there is a there is a drop, and and this is a very simple idea, and I don't even know why nobody did that before, but it's a very simple idea. Otherwise, you just come and redeem against the strongest asset, and you leave everyone else back holding. So 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 that's the first thing. And the value sharing part I'm talking about is, you know, we were, I was telling you guys before, in the reserves we noticed all stable coins has a disproportionate amount of USDC. We worked on that to diversify at the maximum the basket of assets. But in that basket, we included now tokenized bonds. And, you know, you were talking of the future of DeFi. That's a narrative now that's prevalent. Some people subscribe to it. Others don't like it. We're in the bandwagon for it. Um, so in that basket of assets, now you have tokenized bonds, in particular, uh, Euro Treasury bills, and I, I want to stress the fact that it's short-term Euro Treasury bills because you don't want to reproduce errors of the past, you know. <laughs> so these are uh, Euro Treasury bills that go to a maximum maturity of uh, six months, and um, many other stablecoins, centralized in particular, do have these type of assets in their uh, treasuries. Uh, USDT, Tether, they do USDC. It's just they are accruing this interest and not sharing them with everyone else. We're in DeFi and we believe uh, that value of uh, value sharing is part of the DNA of what we're doing. So with the short-term Euro Treasury bills that we do have uh, in our reserves, we're going to stream that yield to the holders of EG Euro that would just have to stake the EG Euro and get a staked EG Euro. So that's the mission we're in right now. We know we're not the first doing it because Maker is doing that you know, perfectly fine right now with their uh, die savings rate. Uh, we're doing it. Uh, for the people who are interested in diversifying in Euro, but also people who are in the Eurozone. So, so it's mostly focused, you know, um, on security, resilience, and value sharing with the, with the state AG Euro now. Uh, Sir Duganist. Um, yeah, I have some questions. Okay, yeah. so um, there's basically like two ways to do stable, decentralized stable coin. Mm. One is that it is lent, it is borrowed yeah. into existence, which is how currency generally works. So it makes sense, the MakerDAO model or BitShares, BitUSD going back to the 2014. Um, and what happens is there's a loan to value ratio, which means there's a liquidation price that's like 50% below. And that if the underlying assets in the basket 
are much lower VAR than like ETH or Bitcoin, then you don't really have that problem so much. But if you did, you would buy uh, theoretically options uh, that are way out of the money that are kind of cheap at that strike price so that it is in fact fully collateralized. And now we get back into options, margin uh, solvency is, is underlying it. Um, what you guys are doing is a little bit of a regulatory arbitrage where some corporations are issuing tokenized euro bills um, that you then buy. So it's not like, oh, our thing is centralized and we manage it and then we like pay out interest. It's like, oh, this other company does that. And we just get, um, you know, some tokens out of this token and it goes mm -hmm. to this other token and it's all one big thing. So Micah is going to basically have this, I don't want to call it a loophole because that's maybe ungracious, but it's going to have this regulatory arbitrage open for now. And then until perhaps Christine Lagarde is like, oh, you know what? This is a loophole. Let's do Mike <laughs> too and, and close this loophole. So then what's, what's the future there, right? So this is maybe useful for you. Um, the future would be like, well, if you had a liquid euro denominated future, a Bitcoin or, or ETH futures contract, then you could take the raw... Bitcoin, well, you can't take raw Bitcoin because Bitcoin maximalists have been blocking uh, innovation in that regard, but okay. <laughs> you take the raw ETH and you plug it into this and now you created a, a Euroized ETH position, which might have some yield in it. it might The future was at a premium or the perp, the, the, but there's, there's basis risk now. So whether it's out of the money options or it's replacing the, the tokenized Euro bonds or Euro bills with... Uh, with the derivatives, you have the same uh, explosive blowout potential. So then um, patient capital that is waiting on the sidelines can come in and, and take it, arbitrage that, take advantage of it. But um, the systematic thing, so let's say your thing got to be like a trillion dollars in, in open interest, which isn't even that much money as far as global, but it's pretty big, right? Systematically, it's important. Or 100 billion even, right? Like, let's say you got that big. The open interest effects of maintaining... So I say this because I came up with this in 2014 and I failed okay. to get the project management to work. So I haven't had a product come out yet. Um, I got to like rebuild it in JavaScript. So that's my that's my flaw in life. But, um, but I thought about this a lot, you know? And... The same problem that affected the market structure today will affect your product as long as it is forced to uh, diversify away from a regulatory arbitrage-based approach, which is how Tether has stayed big, right? Because, well, we shut down their bank accounts, but now Citibank will make some money off of... My, my friend used to work at, at Citibank in the uh, wholesale equities desk. So they, they would actually trade downstream to other trading desks. And, and he he left uh, for jump. It's a nice guy. Um, and he was telling me that um, Citibank has a deal with Tether where they split the profits Ooh. in exchange for being a correspondent bank. Because without a correspondent bank in the U.S., you can't do USD stuff, right? You can't shuffle the lightning network, the money around the correspondent banks. In Europe, maybe it's a little more open. You can go to different banks and it's not such an oligarchy thing. Um, but yeah, ultimately Tether is like a big buyer of, of UST bills. Maybe your product will be successful. It will be the same situation and that Christine Lagarde will not 
try to <laughs> sever this uh, arbitra regulatory arbitrage in the future. So that would be good. Or um, let's say that it's the new world order. Nobody wants to welcome crypto into, I mean, and also that we're, we're instead of cryptofying the banking system, we're bankifying the crypto system, right? Mm -hmm. with, with this approach. So maybe we're like, it, I mean, it's good for the first few billion bucks or 10 billion even for sure, right? Um, and more power to you. And I wish you all the success with, with this product. Um, but at some point, we have to reconcile somehow this inherent duality of like Austrian honest fixed money supply and leveraged derivatives where the open interest can blow out, you know, can get really big and then it gets to crunch because everyone gets liquidated and spreads blow out. Um, so a decentralized stable coin that depends exclusively on, on crypto derivatives, decentralized crypto derivatives, we're, we, we're decentralizing it all, but it, it will have to endure these uh, basis risk Great. events periodically, even if they're smaller in magnitude. Mm. Um, so if it's perps, you'll suffer the negative funding for like 10 hours or a few days. If it's futures, it's actually better because you you've locked it in yeah. and you just don't get to like make a profit, but there would still be a profit in covering those futures at a discount and cycling to some other collateral, maybe a DAO integrated with Uniswap type things could, could accomplish that too. Um, anyway, so this is just my, my, my thoughts on, on all that. Isn't there, isn't there spread um, risk? Isn't there spread risk as well too? So like, like, like as we saw today, well, not, not really cause you're, you know, you would short out the, you would short out the crypto side, right? But uh, in these like long moves upwards, maybe there's a an event where you know the the perpetual side is not going negative two thousand; it's going plus five thousand, right? Um, well, I wouldn't do that on the perps, but on the yeah, future, but, sure, you get really yeah, yeah. yeah. So you locked in this little you know four percent annualized uh, futures premium, and then you have to sit through. So as a money manager who used to do this, this is how I would manage treasury. This was a risk that I thought of. And it's not the worst thing in the world. You just feel bad because you're not making <laughs> all this money from the perps, right? And so, yeah, if you just cycle between your hedges perps, that's bullish. Um, and and if your hedges futures, that's bearish because you would, you know, because if if you go really long dated, you sell futures a year out, and then in a month there's a big market correction and the curve flattens, then you get a much bigger annualized yield than the hold to maturity. Um, um, so well, yeah, Miriam, I want to give you the last word on, on all this. Um, yeah, so I, I do have to jump out, but you, you, you raised very interesting points and, um, what that, you know, teaches us is risk frameworks and risk management are fundamental, uh, for, um, you know, mm. uh, managing stablecoins protocol as much as, or even in a more complex way that you will find in traditional finance. This is things that we are looking in. Uh, you were talking about, you know, uh, DAO managing just like they do at Uniswap. You have that. You also have having people who do uh, jobs that are similar to yours, uh, quantitative mathematics that have to be there to do these risk frameworks in order to secure that uh, that protocol. Ours and any other uh, out there, uh, MakerDAO or, or all these other protocols. And just in respect of uh, the regulatory framework, um, this is a personal take, uh, not, not, not the one of, uh, of the protocol at large. I do believe that even regulation of DeFi 
is coming up. You know, there are already drafts that are being uh, uh, put out there at the European Union level in respect of how you make a smart contract compliance with uh, consumer protection. So, so this is just a matter of time. And what we're doing right now and the way we're implementing it, again, that's a, diff a personal opinion, is bound to change. Um, so, so, so I can't stress enough that we'll have to work on, uh, yeah, quantitative uh, risk framework and uh, also legal one. But yeah, I do have to jump out, guys, and I would love to discuss again. Uh, it was great talking to you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much for coming on, Marin. And I see you, baby. Sorry, the kid decided that she wanted to come out, and she's showing me her. It's a. a she did a really drawing. nice, really nice drawing. That's pretty. That's Actually, that's okay. uh, very, very nice. That's a great uh, drawing. Thank you. <laughs> she wants me to we show it. We should use it as background. I know. <laughs> we'll put them on. Yeah. Uh, it's great, baby. Thank you. Well, it's so it's lovely, man. All right. Uh, oh, wait. Where did Patrick go? Did we sure. lose Patrick? Uh, I'll ping him to see if he can come back on. There's um, issues or something. Okay. Uh, so we actually, we've gotten through two stories and we actually had a bunch that happened <laughs> yesterday. Uh, so there had been a lot of hand-wringing. I don't know if you guys had heard about these potential liquid, well, it's now partially liquidated. This liquidation that was happening on Venus um, several months ago when the Binance bridge was hacked, the exploiter took all the funds, dumped it into Venus, and then took USDT and USDC out, uh, strangely. Um, and essentially left Venus with this debt. And the question at the time was that if, if this was going to get liquidated, uh, there was not enough on-chain liquidity to do so, and that pretty much everybody else would be left with that debt uh, eventually. Well, the Venus protocol uh, set up a, a whitelist function so that they could allow a certain uh, liquidator, I'm guessing it's Binance in this case, to come in and uh, liquidate it. And overnight, the uh, price dropped through the liquidation threshold, and that whitelisted liquidator was able to handle $63 million of BNB liquidation and only cause a $6 price movement. Um, so, that's pretty good. Yeah, we're sorry about that. My, um, my phone died, and that's I'm using Hotspot. Um, can I add something? I, and I'm, I'm sorry, oh, yeah, the sure. end of her. Yeah, last word. Okay, so so I just want to add this is a little weird fact about me. I became a, a Muslim this year, oh. and um, I'm not like a traditionalist Muslim, but I'm not like I'm I'm like you know a little paranoid about God, so I, I respect some of the traditional stuff, like no no lending, right? And how can or do it at zero percent, right? So you could just be like the zero protocol on. Um, um, what, what's that side chain um, sovereign, right? And you just have it and there's no DAO option to move it around. And that, I guess that would, that would fit that bill. Um, but the ethos is very much congruent with like the hardcore Bitcoin maximalist idea that like, like those guys actually, I used to think they were crazy for years. <laughs> and um, now I'm like a little more interested in it. And um, what, what is the principle of Islamic finance irrespective of which hadiths you believe in just going to the the root of what the quran is saying don't eat up each other's wealth uh unjustly and don't kill yourselves which means like don't literally commit suicide but also don't don't you know do what like suzu did to everybody <laughs> like like you know what i mean like don't 
don't be evil and like rake everybody on liquidity and stuff right um and obviously they weren't very good uh creditors either um or borrowers right but anyway so there's this idea of profit sharing and that in the downside scenario uh, there isn't one party who is like going to be oppressed, right? So if I take out a loan and I default and then they're like, sorry, kids, your dad failed. So we're going to take the house and the repo guys come over and they're like, daddy, we don't have a house anymore, right? Whereas like, I don't know, in an Islamic mortgage, it would be like you, you, you just couldn't keep buying back shares in the equity vehicle that that bought the house for you and you're you're more of a renter for a while until you you do better or whatever right so in this case my thought my insight from all of this is that if um you had a stable coin that had a zero percent baseline rate or you had a perb that had a zero percent baseline rate and you were like a progressive enough muslim that you thought okay that's like not you know we don't whatever we don't follow that hadith or, or whatever it's like not out of accord with it um, the Hadith is like, oh, anybody who borrows money, lends money, or records it is is cursed if it's like with an interest rate, right? So like, that's not in the Quran, but um, but not doing you serious lending is in the Quran. So anyway, um, it would be a profit share where you would fix. Let's say futures are halal for now. You would sell the future, lock it in, and you just hold it, and you just do the rolling, and there would be some yield from that, and you would just distribute that to everybody who gets it. So it's a variable rate. And that in the downside, when the market goes kerplunk, the uh, crypto decentralized stablecoin is going to be holding all these futures that can be covered profitably, right? Mm -hmm. So rolling them becomes a negative interest rate, and that becomes an expense. But if there was a way to cycle it onto another form of collateral, um, not necessarily tokenized government bonds, because that wouldn't maybe be halal, right? But like, um, let's say it's tokenized government bonds that mechanically serves the purpose, and that the DAO or what have you that is running this decentralized stablecoin um, would have a big profit, would have a windfall profit, right? Because you can just make fifteen percent or whatever it was this morning, um, and and also it's good because you're providing liquidity when everyone else needs it, right? And those guys are gamblers. They're, they took a five X position. Now they're getting liquidated. They kind of this. This is why the Quran says don't gamble. Um, it's, it's like you know, it's not bad advice if you look at crypto. Um, and also just how ostentatious everything is and how it's all about. Remember in 2021, everyone was like, "Oh, you got a boat, but that's only like a five million dollar boat." You're like, <laughs> you're, you're gay, you know? Like this was like that, and it hurt me. Like I got it. I bought into it a little bit, and then I was like making money i made a lot of money in for my for my standards in 2021 wasn't as much money as three arrows capital was making and then obviously 2022 it was the opposite and i this is where i came into religion and spirituality where it's practicing gratitude and just being grateful to have a little house and a little family and a little money you know and Mm -hmm. something you know just to make it instead of being like like these uh disgraced guys so if if, i was trying to designing these products What's that? Always trying to hit for that like next 10x or 100x or something. And even when you get there, like it's not enough. You got to go another. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There was a quote I was reading this morning. If, uh, somebody uh, saying, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Ha- having enough is much more wealthy than having even more than that, yeah. <laughs> essentially, because it's, yeah. it's in your head. So um, you could design a product that's a crypto stable coin that uses a, an instrument that Maybe it's perps with a zero bound, but then you have the the rate risk. 
so I've like whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to get into the weeds about like traditionalist Islamic finance still is is wary about any tradable options. They're okay with embedding options, and I I think their reasoning is is poor. Um, but that's I'm I'm biased because I make a DeFi protocol where it makes money from volume, right? And also I'm a trader, so I don't know. Maybe I'm not like fully Islamic in that sense, but um, the principle of of having variable yield rather than a, a fixed yield and sharing, and and this is why I also I think that perps are are halal because you're you're only getting the yield, especially if it's like Deribit and it's a zero baseline, and so it's not entitling you to 10% PA for for putting on a synthetic position. Um, it's all there to price in volatility and and you know keep the thing liquid. So to me, I, I think it's okay. Um, and um, so the way I'm designing trade layer in JavaScript is to have modular consensus. So it's more like smart contracts. So it's not so much about, you know, am I doing vanilla options or you want to do some bespoke options that that are different? You know, people can can add that. Um, so I've been thinking about this and it's been an interesting challenge. Um, and it's a salient question because it actually goes to the heart of what Bitcoin is about which is getting all the BS and, and predation. And then what we think of as crypto adds that back on and we make up scam coins. So that's obviously bad. Everybody agrees, even secular people agree that scam coins aren't good. Um, and when you add too much leverage, you're going 50X long and short. Now, like if you make a hundred bagger on an equity or something that is like a legitimate thing or on, on Bitcoin itself, that's totally cool, right? So you can still, it's not like, we can't have honest money without outsized returns. But also, how do you make 100x on Bitcoin? It's because the whole world is wrong, like deeply. And and that's if the world was right, then the Bitcoin would already be the standard or whatever, right? So you wouldn't speaking be of, able to speaking make Speaking of Bitcoin, money. was it um, uh, when the whole ordinals thing came out this past this past year? Because like we had yeah. a story that came out this morning where like ordinals volume is down like 97% from the May highs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it seemed like it was a flash in the pan and it's kind of gone now. Um, you know, there sure. was like a, there was like huge reactions within the Bitcoin community to uh, the ordinals like usage. Right. Like, how dare you yeah. like bring my gas fees above one sat so that you can trade your like NFTs or whatever your ordinal tokens that you made. Right. Right. Like, and we make fun of them because they're such purists, but also they're kind of like Muslims. A lot of them are like Protestant Christians who are like halfway towards being Muslims. Um, and so they're very intolerant of these sort of ostentatious uh, things, right? Um, and then the other side are the libs, who is ostensibly I'm a Bitcoin lib, because I'm like, no, guys, let's get the fees going. Um, but it's just not sustainable, right? It's just not like it, they all pump and dump. And, and so... But at least it's something. No, we have to have more sustainable ways of making use cases and making demand for for the space, right? Mm. Something that's really useful for people. So I'm reading an article uh, right now about Bitcoin in Africa. Mostly they're using Tether um, and Tron. they would get paid in it. On right? Tron. So that's useful. On Tron. Um, yeah, probably on Tron <laughs> and that they're relying on Binance and then right. they use Binance peer to peer to shuffle the Naira or whatever the, the local currency is. And this is how I used to live in Argentina, um, where I, I would even go to a guy named Dante, go, hey, talk like this. And he had like really hairy arms and he would give me hundred dollar <laughs> bills. And then I would have to like run around town. There's no online banking, auto paying your, your bills every month. I'd have to like go around town and like 
pay child support and whatever. So, um, cause I also, uh, it was know, actually a really good, uh, I saw a really good story actually about this. Maybe you can tell us more that, um, uh, this was about inside the crypto black markets of Argentina. I don't know if you've read this one. Yeah. But, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Essentially talking about like how the Cuevas have changed over the last like five to six years where before like they get into how like, there's more hundred dollar bills in Argentina than pretty much anywhere else outside of the United States. Like everybody Correct. just has, yeah, everybody just has hundred dollar bills and like they and would come in. going to come to an end maybe cause they're going to vote in this uh, big sideburns libertarian guy <laughs> and he's going to throw a wrench at the whole system. And once you dollarize, you really, it's hard to go back. Yeah. Um, and if you don't do it, it's hard to get out of this insane cycle of deficit spending and inflation that they've been on. Mm-hmm. Um, but they so talk yeah, about what they talk about down. here. They say that uh, BTC and ETH are not so common for daily use in Argentina. Stable coins such as USDT, USDC, and Tron are more popular solution uh, because they're pegged to USDC. And not only that, it says that like most all the dollar transactions are happening on Tron, um, particularly because. Hey man, of- Justin's son's a cool dude, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? Uh, and, uh, yeah, and, they have cheap fees. I've done trying to move USDT between exchanges, and yeah, yeah we have to def- so we have to decentralize the peer-to-peer infrastructure. Nobody's really competing with Binance P2P, and that's like, and before it was local bitcoins. Local bitcoins shut down. I moved over to Paxful. A month and a half later, Paxful shuts down, and no one's, which is identical to Paxful, and it might even be the same people or different. Maybe they licensed it to some people. They just rebranded it a little bit. Um, I can't, I couldn't KYC on no ones. I had to use my wife, my Chilean wife's ID to do so. Um, so th- this last year has been a tremendous scouring of, of like U.S. persons in particular being able to access the vital liquidity tools, right? So why don't we have, uh, you know, we have BISC, right? But BISC doesn't have liquidity. It's like not that. So people don't even want to use the the decentralized thing. They prefer to use the more centralized thing that just has a, a EULA that bans certain nationalities, U.S. citizens, Somalis, <laughs> Sudanese, North Koreans, Yemenis, a few others. Right. Um, and also it's, it's interesting because being a Muslim, like I'm more in tune with all these uh, people who are living in these like messed up countries that are like highly marginalized because of like a minority of Muslims who are like hardcore traditionalist, you know, extremists. Right. And um, and so, like, I was trying to help Syrian refugees, and I couldn't. I, I sent some money on Wise to a guy in Turkey, and then it got exchanged at like a horrible exchange rate instead of the black market exchange rate, which is like five x. It's like a five x premium in Syria because it's so extreme. And I can't send money, even if I, I I tried to like teach this lady to use Bitcoin. She didn't want to use Bitcoin, and even if I sent her Bitcoin. Maybe that's a, a sanctions risk, right? So that's one thing. But let's say I send it to somebody in, in Lebanon or somebody in Turkey who's a refugee and they're still broke, right? And I can send money to Turkey. It's, it's chill. So there's no sanctions question. Um, and there is liquidity in, in lira and there is some liquidity in, in Lebanese uh, pounds or shillings or whatever they have. So we, ha- we, we need to improve the peer-to-peer market uh, infrastructure just to have crypto be useful at all. Well, it's tough um, because like even yesterday we had this this court decision about OFAC where <clears throat> the court like, uh, well, a few months back, OFAC had come out and said like, this is haram. You're done. OFAC sanctions. Good night. <laughs> thank you. 
Like whatever. I love the, the OFAC Haram police concept. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, OFAC was donezo. And so several people sued, uh, to try to like reverse these sanctions because th this is the first time that a like smart contract had been, uh, sanctioned before. And so yesterday they yes. actually came back and they, they pretty much lost the case. So the, the court reasoned, uh, in this, this was a district court, so this can always be appealed as well too. So, uh, they said that sure. tornado cash was an entity. Uh, and it can be designated under sanctioned language. It's it's an association comprised of its founders, developers, and the DAO, uh, a body of persons who have combined to execute the common purpose of developing, promoting, and governing Tornado Cash. Uh, and right. in fact, also determined that smart contact contracts constitute property under the applicable regulations uh, is is not plainly wrong. So the court will just defer to does, that determination. Does that uh, mean it could be wrong, but it's not clear? Yes, and so but they're they just going to, yeah, they don't want to yeah. make that that choice, right? So they're just going to question. Yes, and it'll probably have to be solved by the Supreme Court or something. So they just say it's property, right, under the regs. And smart I mean, contracts are just code very enabled. unpolitical and reliable jurists, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then there's also there's no First Amendment conflict here because the sanction does not prohibit all expression, just expression using one service. So people can copy the code, they can write it down somewhere. Uh, they could even like repost the code if they wanted to. But the, the issue here is right. specifically making transactions through this one contract. Um, and also that the sanctions violate the taking clause, essentially that like the government cannot take your stuff without uh, like recourse or waived because the plaintiffs mm -hmm. um, didn't argue this point on summary judgment. There's actually like oh, a really have a very lawyer, I guess. Yeah, um, it's very but... interesting. Let me, let me see if I can find this, because there was actually somebody who wrote about uh, this in detail, uh, talking about how um, the the thing they may want to go um, after on these um, tornado cash stuff is like a Fourth Amendment violation, right? So, um, mm -hmm. like, once the assets are, like, seized, right, like, it, it's more of like a question of seizure, uh, because this there's there's U.S. entities who have had their their funds seized, right, and are uh, prevented from accessing them without uh, OFAC OFAC's approval. This is right? why I'm hoping that Morocco will become a giant uh, crypto finance center because yeah. they have a lot of uh, solar resources to mine with, um, and that they're not hard. They're not Saudi as far mm -hmm. as their Islam goes, but they are. Uh, you know, they have a lot of hookers and hashish and things like this that they don't say that's good right they like keep it so that you feel bad if you're a hash guy or, or a sex worker or a patron but like they're not you know rounding people up and oppressing them so i, I kind of like that um and latin america it seems like you know something like argentina perspectively could could become like that too right um so i i haven't i've never been big on privacy uh because it seems like we get into this uh it, it's actually more confrontational mm -hmm. you're like oh we're just mixing our money so we can have privacy leave us alone and they're like well we think you're terrorists or something so <laughs> and we can't prove that you're not so now we're gonna really come after you um also the question of like isn't, isn't that like a the, the, the schrodinger's schrodinger's terrorists like yeah, yeah, exactly. Money goes into a box exactly. and like it may or may not be a terrorist financing when it comes out. So we're just going to say that the box doesn't exist anymore. And well, uh, that's why I grew this beard so I could let people know that I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> so I make it really clear. Um, and um, that 
this question of a DAO and, and having voting and there are parameters in the code that if you just buy enough tokens and, and do the vote proposal and blah, 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 which has tremendously low participation rates. So I think that throws a wrench in that theory, just, just prima facie, right? At the level of, of like, they leave us alone, but it's still not widely, people don't really engage in it like that because people don't want to do it. I mean, look at how democracy has gone. It's not like, you don't see people like going onto local referendums, running for town council and stuff uh, that much. It's like usually the wrong kind of people uh, or it's like market makers who have an agenda doing these proposals, but also that it doesn't buy you the regulatory arbitrage of going, oh, but it's a DAO, like that that has been shot, uh, that that uh, the securities uh, regulatory arb, that's been shut down already. Um, the, the money laundering or whatever you wanna call it, your privacy governance, like that seems to have been shut down by this ruling against Tornado. Um, so don't have a DAO, just have it do its thing. But then people are like, no, but we need to like build a network effect and there has to be a token so we can pump it so we can get rich off of it. And it's like, what if you didn't do that and you, and somehow you made money off of it? Maybe you still have a token. It's like closely held. You, you know, you're just less greedy and you don't have a voting mechanism built in. So you're open to people forking it and changing the parameters that way and trying to stake out their own network effect that way. Um, I think less greed, if, we're, if we really care about decentralization and people not getting debanked and people not going hungry and being unable to earn money and feed their families due to, due to politics, which I, I think is a core thing here, as well as the monetary policy thing, right? But that's, they're, they're kind of two pillars of, of, of decentralized money, right? Because um, monetary policy thing is opting out of a, a chronically inflationary uh, yeah. you know, implied negative real rates, uh, regime. Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, I think if we do this, we have to ask ourselves sincerely, am I, how much of my decision-making is motivated by greed and then try to pare it down. will be, will be good. Yeah. So, I mean, tornado cash is not like dead there. It's still being used, uh, by some Koreans and, uh, Northern ones, the best ones, <laughs> the best Koreans, right? Well, and maybe that, yeah, they really need that, you know, because they'll, they'll get killed if they, and I'm sure chain analysis has sold a license to, well, they can't do that because of sanctions, but you know, whatever, somebody pirated it. They, they got it on BitTorrent. Um, okay. So yeah, God bless them. Hope they make it. That's uh, a tough one. Yeah. So the Lazarus group still using this money coming in and out. Um, not sure how they actually get it out because once it goes into tornado cash, I mean, I guess it's hacked anyway. So somebody probably wants that ETH somewhere, right? Like, um, you know, so yeah. it, like maybe, no, maybe just, they just we have to be political and we have to say, look, government, here's my money on chain. I paid my taxes. You want to audit me, you know, spin your wheels. It's, you're not, it's not going to be profitable for you because mm -hmm. I'm an honest citizen. And also that we're not going to let the government turn into this. Uh, you know, 1984 thing like China's been doing, right? So that that's actually something like crypto isn't going to save us from that. We actually have to make a political stand against that kind of tyranny and uh, full stop. You can survive like a cockroach under a rock under tyranny, like in Iran or in North Korea, or like even to a lesser extent in Argentina or Venezuela using these implements 
And if the government wants to invest in hurting people explicitly for going against their policies, the crypto can't save you. It it might be able to you might be able to get out of the country with it and, you know, it might facilitate saving you. But it's not, you know, or a lot of these guys are Second Amendment guys who think, well, yeah, that's why you need Bitcoin and guns. It's like, (laughs) yeah, but like get into a, a shootout with the cops. And there's like four of them and, and you kill one uh, like uh, that guy Cooper who wrote uh, Behold a Pale Horse, a conspiracy theory book. And he married a Filipino lady, classic American right winger. Um, and uh, and then he died in a shootout with the cops because I don't know, it was probably over some BS. Like he didn't pay the county municipal fees or something like that. You know what I mean? So that logic only takes you so far. Also, um, I think you might have to vote at some point. You might actually have to vote. Uh, what can I say? Well, we do have, I, I want to get to two more, two more stories here. So, um, the first okay. one was that like at, uh, pretty much the bottom, right? So like, uh, minutes after the, uh, sell-off happened yesterday and, uh, hold on, I have to, I have to preface this. So, um, we're going to put our tinfoil hats on here minutes after the sell-off happened yesterday and, uh, volatility shot through the roof. There was a report from Bloomberg that the SEC is poised to approve ETH futures, uh, which drove a rally in the market. ETH went back up uh, nearly $100, and uh, we had almost a like V-shaped recovery. Uh, in that was in, the CFTC because ETH is C- not a security. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it would do two things. It would say that one, ETH is not a security, uh, and two, that uh, there's going to be a futures product for for. Uh, soon. So uh, looking at the price sell-off, uh, the, the the sell-off happened at about $1,750 per ETH. Uh, ETH dropped down on Binance. I believe this is the Binance price. Uh, ETH dropped down on the, the, the Coinbase price, uh, spot price to $1,538. And then uh, on the back of the ETH uh, futures approval news, it rose all the way back up to $1,715, where it started on the day. So uh just random really random set of events amadeo brands nice to see you in the in the chat it's been a while i met him in uh tokyo years ago <laughs> just dropped a comment uh um so is this bullish right i guess i don't know I, it's just it's just strange right like we have some elon news that sends us to the netherworld and then we get like drip drop feedings from bloomberg yeah. You may have later. missed it, but apparently the grayscale decision has been delayed. It was supposed to come out about 10 minutes ago, but they were right, funded okay. to another day. Of course. So Bitcoin was uh, badly we'll trading at 40K and, uh, on Monday. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then also uh, for someone who was affected by the FTX collapse, I wanted to get your opinion on this most recent proposal inside of Mantle. So what uh, they're proposing, let me blow this up a little bit so we can see. Uh, Mantle just made a transfer from uh, Bit to uh, Mantle. And so FTX Group's Bit tokens, uh, they're proposing, should not automatically convert to Mantle due to various disqualification factors. And this was to uh, Mm. either pause on-chain migration uh, or just implement a new uh, Mantle migration smart contract that can restrict automatic migrability of FTX Group's Bit tokens. Um, my take is that it's nice that they're trying to be ethical, but that this level of governance is actually more problematic than the the ethical quandary in, in question. 
Plus, this is going to go to the liquidation estate. Now, let's imagine in a perfect world where bankruptcy lawyers are like, sure, I'll do it for $50 an hour and we'll get it done in six weeks or or six months, you know, and it's like really efficient and that it's really helping, you know, but it's still it's I I don't think that's so bad. And also that once we start making all these, it's it's almost like cancel culture, not to stump too hard for the FTX estate, but like it, it opens the door that is hard to close. So maybe it's good that the government is making DAOs untenable because maybe <laughs> DAOs are um, maybe the real democracy is the bid ask spread. And that's like the best that you can really d- get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, Garrett, this one's actually for you. Uh, I don't know why you, I didn't see you report about this. Uh, I had to go and find this. But Tron DAO announced that Curve Finance is going to be deploying to both Tron and then also BitTorrent as well, too. Uh, this comes in the wake of his, he's no longer his excellency, but uh, in the wake of Justin Sun committing to buy $2 million of CRV in the recent uh, OTC deal bonanza. Uh, and I believe Curve is going to be jumping into the Tron Tether game. Yeah, so the reason they didn't report on is it is it came out at 11 p.m. when I was soundly asleep, and I'm still <laughs> not quite sure. If it is um, like basically, I don't know if this is like the same that uh, Justin invested personally or what. So I don't know this is the exact story going on behind the scenes. Um, but that being said, it's pretty big news. Obviously, like we've seen, USDT is like mostly a Tron phenomenon. Most of the developing world is using Tron, uh, and I think in America, like we don't realize quite how big of a footprint it has. Uh, so, like, yeah, it's exciting stuff. Um, they're also EVM compatible, so it's basically like a lateral move to launch there. So I don't think it'll be too tough. So excited to see what happens. Like uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening in the past 24 hours with Curve. Um, also very excited because Curve USD just smashed 125 million TVL. Whoa! That, oh wow! Nice leverage. Leverage feature seems to be working. <laughs> and also the interest rates have been low on uh, Curve USD as well too, right? Yeah, like sub 1%, like I think in some cases sub 0.1%. So it's basically free money. Uh, that being said, like you could see where people might not want to be speculating um, when like the markets have been so dumpy. Yeah, so the borrow rates like pretty much non-existent at the moment. <laughs> the highest one being Stake for ETH with the eight basis points. Free money, free yeah. money, right? <laughs> uh, it seems like, it seems like, wow, look at that. Oh, but it's it's fully borrowed, though. Yeah, the SFRAX ETH was uh, kind of a weird one because it was like the first test one, and now until uh-huh. a new contract's deployed, they can't actually raise the debt limit. So it was like this initial $10 million, and now people are like... So at first, everyone was like, oh, man, how come Curve is favoring FRAX? And now everyone's like, how come Curve is punishing FRAX? Yeah, speaking of FRAX, yesterday was pretty crazy. We had the largest liquidations on FRAXland um in its history so there was three frac shares holders that were just liquidated one after the other um coincidence or not they were all stacked right near the uh the same liquidation point and it led to like almost a 20 percent uh price drop um so people just not managing uh and ready for these like 20 percent candles which we haven't seen for a long time i can't remember the last time we've seen a, a like a 10 percent daily move on bitcoin or eth yeah, like five days ago, people were complaining. They're like, where's the volatility? These are supposed to be volatile. Yeah. And you know what? In hindsight, Michael was given a gift to of of these like non-volatile, like three months of non-volatile markets and everybody doing all their hand wringing kind of like forced him to 
uh, OTC during a very, very easy time period where the price of, you know, curve moved a little bit, but uh, it didn't, it didn't like drop 20% in a day. Like it could have uh, had he waited a little bit more and, and today's events happen. Um, so thankfully he's still in business. <laughs> Can you mm -hmm. brief me real quick? Frax is um, a maker DAO style stablecoin, or there's some derivative in it? Uh, no, like Frax has a bunch of different layers. So they've got a lending product, they've got a staked ETH product, and so uh, in their in their Frax Frax land is their kind of um, it's an isolated lending market. Uh, so you know, like we have different pairs, you can put a Frax to borrow against it, uh, and those pairs are isolated against everything else. So uh, yesterday. There are several liquidations across some of the pairs for like Convex and ETH and then also the uh, governance token of Frag shares. Uh, and yeah, some pretty big liquidations. Nice. Um, so decentralized stable coins, uh, the jury is still out, literally, because there are U.S. court cases that it will be appealed that are going to uh, <laughs> affect this. But um, yeah, we got to do better. You know, we, we should... Um, think more about resiliency and less about yield right like these um lending markets and curve i gotta say i want to go back and, and look at those hadiths and question them because the uh, four basis point borrows is pretty tempting i mean you know, <laughs> that's annualized well, too right yeah it's just be aware that it's um it is uh fluctuating so if like does. the it does very violently. So it's like adjusting these borrow rates to try and force curve USD to stay on peg. So it's like super good at keeping peg. But the thing is, if like things go out of whack in just like the slightest way, like one of the pools becomes imbalanced, all of a sudden you'll be at 10%. Yeah. Well, and I think that that people, the, the quintessential, you know, since 10 years we've been, oh, this guy in Africa, this is like our use case. It's like, oh, everything we do is justified because there's this guy in Africa who's going to really benefit. So what's the guy in Africa going to do? These people like to put their money in things like one coin because they need like extreme upside to make it interesting. So maybe they're okay with like 20, 30% annualized. So they'll put their money into, um, I think it was like Anchor uh, with Luna oh, yeah. or there was like magic internet money that would like rehypothecate it and like <laughs> stack the yield for you. The, 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 um, the G Degen, uh, what was it called? The Degen box. Yeah, exactly. So these products tend to be places for people to park money anyway for high yield. And that my thesis of like, oh, decentralized stable coins with yield are going to catch on hasn't really played out. It's mostly Tether. It's mostly people trying to cycle their their monthly income into cash so they can buy food and pay rent and, and things like that, right? Um, so it's like, man, you know, it's sobering, honestly. This conversation has been sobering. Um, and it just reminds me of how much thing how many things I've believed in for the last decade that have instead manifested a much more mundane and banal alternative. Um, and that the more decentralized things have much more fragility in them and that we, we still haven't figured it out. Yeah. And we're, it's an ongoing process, unfortunately. Um, and that's probably a good place to wrap it up. I mean, we could probably go for a lot longer. Uh, we didn't cover, sure. a, a, we covered a third of, of what's out there today, but you can read the rest of the headlines on our telegram channel uh and also on our twitter as well too yeah patrick i gotta say uh shukran and uh alhamdulillah yeah 
Inshallah, we will prevent uh, world domination by evil money systems and protect people's freedoms. <laughs> well, thanks yeah, so much. Join us anytime there's volatility, mm -hmm. which means we'll see you a lot more. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I look forward to that. It was cool. great having you on, man. Uh, yeah. All right. Thank you. Nice to thanks, meet you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in as well, too. Uh, it's Friday. We'll be back Monday after a nice, relaxing touch grass weekend. Um, Hopefully. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely going to touch grass. Uh, but everybody else, have a good weekend, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, folks. Achalakum salam. Wahmaradi wa barakatuh. It's like not exactly, but... <laughs>